0: If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we started looking at Jesus' trial, and one of my favorite encounters that Jesus has in his trial is with Pontius Pilate. And the reason it's one of my favorite uh, encounters is because it's really the only time that Jesus has a real conversation with anyone during his trial. Typically, Jesus is just silent. Last week we noted that, you know, he rebukes the religious leaders for a little bit because they're doing an illegal trial against him. But for the most part, he's just quiet when they, you know, ask about anything. He's just silent uh, during the trial. But John reveals to us something that Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel don't. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Jesus is tr- uh, quiet before Pilate as well. But John reveals that there's a time where Pilate and Jesus have their private conversation alone. That they go away from the religious leaders and Pilate brings Jesus in and he wants to just know what it is that Jesus is guilty of, what it is that they're accusing him of. And Jesus and Pilate have this great conversation where they deal with the issue and topic of truth. And you know, this is something that is of the utmost importance uh, where we're at in our culture today. And Jesus says to Pilate, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate responds by saying, what is truth? You know, in our culture today, there is an attack on and a rejection of biblical truth. And biblical truth has been replaced with moral relativism. And this is such a huge problem that I really want to take time to deal with this topic, this subject matter of truth, as we come to this you know, portion of the trial where Jesus and Pilate, they have this conversation about truth. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm just going to really focus in and highlight that aspect. And we're going to look through John's Gospel because one of the themes in John's Gospel that we see uh, over and over again is truth. It's actually uh, the word truth or true is mentioned 45 times in this Gospel. And so John is really wanting us to grasp this reality of truth is so vital, is so important. And so I want to kind of just take some highlights of main things that John has shared with us about truth to just understand how important it is that we hold to biblical truth. And as we look at these verses, I'm also going to show you the problem of moral relativism. The problem of what our culture is ultimately adopted and believes in our culture today. And then we're going to conclude with this conversation that Jesus has with Pilate concerning this wonderful topic of truth. And then next week we'll get back to what we typically do and going verse by verse through this whole issue of the trial of Jesus before Pilate And look at all the details with it. But this morning, we're really just going to spend our time focusing on this issue of truth and really uh, contrasting that with moral relativism and seeing why it's so important because of where we're at in our world today. And so I want to start by defining this term moral relativism. Maybe you hear that and you're like, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? And so moral relativism relativism is the philosophical position that all points of view are equally valid and that all truth is relative to the individual. It's the rejection of absolute moral standards and truth from God. It's the philosophy of setting one's own standards by personal preference or by um, societal consensus rather than by the Word of God. And so what this means is that truth and morality changes with each individual. Because each individual gets to decide what is true for them. Each individual gets to decide what is moral for them. And the result of this unbiblical philosophy is Ultimately, there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute morality that each person is meant to live under and live by. Now, this goes completely against what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that God is the one who has established truth, that God is the one who has established the moral standard for all the world to live by. He is the one who has established what is right and wrong. He has given us truth. He has given us moral standards for everyone to follow. And so according to the Bible, moral relativism is completely wrong. God has not given us the right to determine what is true for ourselves. He's not given us the right to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. What is you know, our moral stance that we're going to take? This is something that He reserves for Himself alone. Now, it's important to note that moral, to, well, moral relativism is just the natural consequence of a culture that is bought into atheism and evolution. Atheism is the denial that there is a God, and evolution is the denial that God is the creator of everything. And both of those things lead to a natural response of moral relativism. If there's no God, if there's no creator, like... Atheism and evolution teaches Then we're free to write our own rules, we're free to draft our own laws, we're free to set our own moral standards. If there's no God who establishes what is right and wrong, we can do whatever we want. And that's really the heart of moral relativism. People want that. I want to be able to do whatever I want. I want to be able to make my own standard of what is right and wrong and live by that standard. I don't want anyone else making a standard for me. I don't want any absolute truth or moral standard that I have to be judged by or live up to. I want to be able to declare that for myself so I can just do whatever it is I want to do. And if you look at our culture today, we're seeing more and more of the chaos and the problems that this type of philosophy brings with it. When people abandon God's truth, abandon biblical morality of what is right and wrong, and start to just do whatever it is they want to do, we're seeing in our culture more and more the negative impact that that is bringing. John Allen Jr. shares some great thoughts as to why moral relativism is such a danger and a problem for our culture. He writes this, Moral relativism is the gravest problem of our time because it subverts traditional Christian teaching, because it undercuts efforts to bring the gospel to the world, because it fosters utopian political thinking, and ultimately a totalitarianism because it compromises the basis for human rights and leads to abuse of power by the state even over life and death. Given the diagnosis, the defense of objective truth is not simply a matter of abstract um, philosophical interest. It is the burning issue of our times. And in an era in which relativism seems to have the upper hand and a social order built on truth is crumbling, it is up to the church to keep the candle of objective truth burning. So moral relativism is definitely a huge problem in our culture today. And that is why as a church, we must stand on biblical truth. We must proclaim biblical truth. We must not shy away from biblical truth in a culture that is rejecting it, that is abandoning it, that is ridiculing anyone who would stand for it or proclaim it. And so before we get into this conversation that Jesus has with Pilate concerning this great topic of truth, I want to look at some of the main things that John has already shared, that Jesus has already spoken about truth, so that we can just kind of understand the importance of it, but also how it is just completely against Moral relativism in the way in which our culture is thinking, and the way in which our culture is living today. And so let's go all the way back to John chapter 1 and remind ourselves of what was told to us in verses 14 and 17. We're told this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus became flesh, when He became one of us, when He became a man and dwelt here among us on this earth, He was God in human flesh. And notice that we're told that He was full of truth. And also that truth came through Jesus So Jesus was the truth of God in human form, and the important thing to understand about this is any rejection of Jesus is a rejection of the truth of God. You see, moral relativism is a rejection of Jesus, a rejection of His authority, a rejection of His truth, a rejection of the fact that He is the one and only way to be saved, a rejection of the fact that He had to die for the sin that He says is wrong. John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 gives us another important thing about truth. It says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Here Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3 is, is that wonderful chapter, but after he gets done talking about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he, he gets into this issue of uh, contrasting those who practice evil versus those who practice truth. And Jesus reveals that those who practice evil, they hate the light of God because it exposes their evil deeds. But on the other side of it, those who practice truth, they come to the light of God. They want the light of God because it exposes that their deeds are now clearly seen that they're done in God. And so the light of God is there to expose both works but those who are doing the works that are evil, the works that are not true according to God's Word, that they want to stay away from that light because it exposes what they are. And those who are doing the works of God, they love the light because it reveals that what they're doing is for God and done to God. So what Jesus is revealing to us is that those who hold to God's truth, they live in this open light, open to God's truth. But those who reject God's truth which would be those who hold to moral relativism, they hate the thought that there is an absolute truth, an absolute authority in the world that we must obey. And the reason they hate God's absolute authority is because it exposes that the claims they make, that they say, oh, this is actually what is right and wrong, and this is actually what is true, it exposes those things to be false. And they don't like that. They don't want to be exposed for what they actually are. John chapter four, we're told this about truth, verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when t- the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well and they have that great conversation with one another. And ultimately the conversation comes to worship. And Jesus reveals something about worship that's so important for us to understand. He tells this woman that true worshipers, those who truly are going to worship God in the way that God will receive that worship, will do it in two ways. They will do it in spirit, and they will also do it in truth. So what Jesus is saying is the only kind of worship that God is going to accept, that God is going to receive from those who are doing it towards Him, is a worship that is according to the truth that He reveals in Himself and the truth that He reveals through His Word. Any other worship that goes against the truth that he has revealed in himself or the truth that he has revealed in his word is not going to be something that he accepts because it's not worship in truth any longer. It's now worship in lies. It's worship in something that is false. It's worship in something that is not what God has declared about who he is. And we need to be aware of that. So if you try and worship God based on what you want to be true as opposed to what he has declared to be true, he doesn't receive that worship. And sadly, we see that even in the church world today, even in some of the worship songs, which I won't even call them worship songs because they're not really worship songs, because when you read them, they are writing things that are opposing what God says about Himself. They're against what God's Word declares, and so that's not worship that God's going to receive because you're, you're singing something that is against what His truth is. And God only receives worship in spirit and in truth. He's not going to receive something that is false about who He is and what He's done. John chapter 8, verse 31 gives us another important thing about truth. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here Jesus is sharing another wonderful truth that's connected to this topic of truth. He says, those who abide in My Word, in the Word of God, you're going to know the truth, and the truth of God's Word is going to set you free. You know, what Jesus is revealing here is the basis for all truth is found in the Word of God. So when we abide in God's Word, we discover the truth of God. But not only discover the truth of God, we discover the truth about life, about death, about holiness, about moral standards, about salvation, about heaven and hell, right and wrong, the Word of God reveals all of these truths, the most important truths of life, to us. And when we accept God's truth, it will set us free. Because within the truth of God is the Gospel message of what Jesus has done to deal with our sin, when we accept the truth of who Jesus is, accept the truth of what He has done for our sin on the cross, it sets us free from our bondage to sin. But when you reject the truth, reject the truth of God's Word, reject the truth of who Jesus is, reject the truth of what Jesus has done for you, you are still bound. You will not be set free until you accept the truth of what God has declared about the only way for you and I to be free from our sin and free to have a relationship with God and free to be in heaven with Him for all eternity. And that is based on the truth of what God has revealed in His Word about Himself and what He's done for us. It's basically what Jesus tells the religious leaders who have not been willing to accept the truth of who He is and they're still living in bondage. John 8.44 says this, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, what Jesus reveals here is something very important, that every single person has a spiritual father, and there's only two of them. There's either God your spiritual father or Satan your spiritual father. And everybody is going to have one or the other. You can't have both. And the only way that you can have God as your spiritual father is if you are someone who is of the truth. Because you've accepted the truth. Because you believe in the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. The privilege of that relationship is that God now adopts you as His child and He is now your father. But when you reject the truth of God's Word, reject the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done, guess what? You still have a spiritual father. It's just not God. Your spiritual father is Satan. And that's what Jesus is revealing to these religious leaders who will not believe in the truth of who He is. Saying, hey, I'll tell you who your father is. Your father is not God who you claim Him to be. Your father is Satan. You won't believe the truth and that makes sense because you're following the One who has no truth in Him. He is the father of lies. There's no truth in Satan, and that is the one that ultimately is your father, and it makes sense as you reject the truth of what God has revealed. And that's one of the big problems of moral relativism and why it gets so bad. See, once a culture declares that there is no absolute truth, that there is no godly moral standard in which we have to follow and live by, we get to set our own standards by our own personal preference or as we see more in our culture by the societal consensus when enough people agree that this is right when enough people say we can do this then we say okay it must be right it must be true if we got enough people saying yes to it then, then that's okay we can, we can now do it the culture feels they're free to write their own rules and laws and set their own moral standards but since they've rejected God and rejected His truths, and rejected His laws, and rejected His moral standards. They're going to be creating their own rules, their own laws, and their own standards. But here's the key. It's not going to be based on a sovereign, holy, perfect God. They're going to be setting their own rules and standards and morality based on their own sinful desires. And that is when things get really bad. You know, when you look throughout history... Some of the greatest atrocities that happen happen because of this reality when people abandon biblical morality, biblical truths established by God, and they say, you know what, we can establish our own law. We can establish our own morality. We can determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Some of the worst atrocities in history have come about from that philosophy. And probably one of the greatest examples of more modern time is Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany abandoned and rejected God, as truths, His laws, His moral standards. And in its place, they adopted moral relativism. They created their own rules and laws and standards based on their own sinful desires, based on the leading of their spiritual father, Satan. And they came to the conclusion that there were certain innocent people that they just wanted to wipe out. There were certain people that just didn't fit what they wanted, and so let's just murder them. But in their moral relative uh, belief system, they thought, hey, "This cool, okay. You know, these aren't even real people. We can, we can destroy them. We can kill them. Their view went completely against the view of God, where every single person has value because they're created in the image of God, and they totally took groups of people and demonized them and murdered them. Adolf Hitler, he said this. I freed Germany from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, relentless, and cruel. What Hitler says here is really kind of at the heart of moral relativism. Moral relativism seeks to free people from what they see as stupid and degrading fallacies of a God-given conscience and a God-given morality. You know, that's what Hitler thought. You know, hey, God-given conscience, God-given morality, those are stupid fallacies that we have to rid our country of. We have to get people away from a belief in those things, and instead, we will bring our own truth, our own morality, our own right and wrong, and we'll create another generation that has abandoned these things and will shape them in our own way where well, they'll be reviolent, relentless, and cruel. And sadly, he was very successful in doing that. Robbie Zacharias wrote this, There is nothing in history to match the dire ends to which humanity can be led by following a political and social philosophy that consciously and absolutely excludes God. And here's the reality. Moral relativism is... Political and social philosophy that consciously and absolutely excludes God. And that is why it's so dangerous. That's why it's led to such horrible things like the Holocaust, the era of colonial slavery, the apartheid in South Africa, the abuses of communism that we see right now in China. It leads to a reversal of moral conduct and people calling good, evil, and evil good. You know, I think in the Bible, one of the best examples or descriptions of moral relativism without using the term, but using the definition, is in the book of Judges. In Judges 17.6, we're told this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So during the time of judges, instead of what doing what was right in the eyes of God, instead of doing what was right according to the law that God gave to the nation of Israel, we're told that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Each person was determining for themselves what was true. Each person was determining for themselves what was right and what was wrong, what was moral and what was not, instead of looking to God for what was true, right, and wrong. And this is the natural result of moral relativism. When you abandon the truth of God's Word, you're left with everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And sadly, that's what we are seeing in our own culture. As we have rejected more and more of God's truth and adopted this moral relativistic mindset that we can establish our own morality, everyone is now doing what is right in their own eyes. People believe there's no such thing as absolute truth everyone gets to determine their own truth. You get to decide what's true for you, and I get to decide what's true for me. And even if those two things are completely opposing one another, they both somehow can still be true. Now, since we've abandoned God's truth and have adopted our own sinful desires as a country, you know, it's closed the door on God's truth, and it has opened the door to all sorts of evil and sin and immorality for example moral relativism closes the door on the sanctity of life starting at conception which is what the word of God clearly teaches and it opens the door to abortion which is the murder of babies which is completely against the word of God moral relativism closes the door on biblical marriage between one man and one woman and it opens the door to living together before you're married to homosexual marriage, to polygamy, and to any other thing that people want to determine and decide to do against what God's Word says. Moral relativism closes the door on sexual purity, and it opens the door to every type of sexual morality that there is. You see, ultimately, moral relativism closes the door to the morality and truth that God has given to us in His Word. And it opens the door to all sorts of sinful behavior that God says is wrong. Another important verse in John's Gospel that speaks about truth is John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Once again, Jesus here is declaring Himself to be the truth, but here He connects Himself the truth with the only way someone can get to God the Father. The only way that someone can be saved of their sins. The only way that someone can get to heaven. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Me. Through the truth. So if someone abandons the truth of God's Word and follows their own made-up truth, or follows the culture's truth, the result of that is they will not know the truth of who Jesus is. They will not know the truth of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And if they don't know the truth, they won't believe the truth. And if they don't believe the truth, the Bible's very clear, they're not going to be saved. They're not going to be in heaven. Instead, they're going to receive the judgment of God for all eternity in hell. You see, the biggest problem with moral relativism is it leads people away from God's truth and causes them to reject the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It causes them to reject the truth of the gospel, the only thing that can save them from their sin. It leads people to hell. And as believers living in a culture that has rejected God's truth and has adopted moral relativism, it can be difficult. It can be difficult going to work and you're the only one who holds to and stands on the truths of God's Word. It can be difficult to even maybe be in a family where perhaps you're the only person who holds to and believes in God's truth. Or you know, be with friends or, or whatever it may be. We, we live in a culture where they're very opposed to the things that we as Christians hold to dearly. But you know what? Jesus has given us two things to help us stand for God's truths. To help us live out those truths in our lives in front of a culture that is opposing them. And those two things are seen in John chapter 14, 16, and 17. And I'll note those for you. In John 14, verses 16 and 17, we're told, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. John 16, 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. The two things that Jesus has given to us to help us to stand for truth, to help us to live for truth in a culture that has rejected it, is the Spirit of truth and the Word of Truth. And these both are so essential for us to depend upon and rely upon in order to stand strong in biblical truth in front of a culture that has rejected it. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit. And I love this term. The Spirit of Truth. And He is dwelling within us. And notice that one of His roles, one of the things that He does for us is He leads us into all truth. What a blessing that is to us as we are in a culture that is bombarding us with lies and things that oppose the truth of God that we have within us a spirit of truth that is leading us into all godly truth. And so as the culture is trying to lead us away from the truth of God's Word, the spirit of truth within us is leading us towards the truth of God's Word. And be encouraged by that. But you know what? We have something else. We have the Word of truth. The Word of Truth reveals to us about God, about morality, about how to be saved, about sin, about heaven, about hell, about how to live in a way that glorifies God. And the truth of God's Word, it must be the foundation of what we believe, and it must be the foundation of our behavior. You see, our culture wants to tell us what we should believe. Our culture wants to tell us how we should behave. We can't listen to them because they're not the standard. They're not the one who has determined what is truly right, what is truly wrong. And so we have to come back to the Word of God and say this is truth that I'm going to believe. And this is the moral standard that is going to dictate how I live my life. So those are just a few of the important passages. As I mentioned, there's 45 different references to truth. We could have spent a lot more time. But those are kind of the ones that jump out Give us some important things. And now I want to get to this conversation. We've worked through the Gospel of John. We come to the trial of Jesus. And now Jesus and Pilate are kind of jumping ahead a little bit. They're getting this private conversation. And I want us to look at what they say and the significance of it. So, John chapter 18, verses 37 through 38, says this Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, So as Jesus and Pilate are having this private conversation with one another away from the religious leaders who have brought Jesus to Pilate, notice that Jesus reveals to Pilate the reason he was born, the reason that he left heaven and came to this earth. And the reason that Jesus says he did that is so that he could bear witness to the truth. You see, Jesus came to this church, to this earth in order to bear witness Of the truth of God. Jesus' claim that He came to bear witness to the truth shows that contrary to our prevalent moral relative philosophy in our culture today, there is absolute truth from God. You know what? That absolute truth from God is true whether you believe it or not. It's true whether you like it or not. It's true whether you are offended by it or not. You see, when someone denies the truth that God makes in His Word, it doesn't make that truth now false, it just makes that person's belief false. You know, if I denied the truth that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I claimed that it equals 6, my denial of that truth wouldn't all of a sudden make 2 plus 2 now equal 6, it wouldn't make 2 plus 2 equaling 4 wrong, it would just make me wrong, because I've denied what is true and made a false claim which just makes me false. So when people deny any of the truths found in God's Word, it doesn't make the truths of God's Word wrong. It just makes the person who is denying those truths wrong. That's basically what Jesus is saying when He says, Everyone who is of the truth hears My voice. What Jesus is saying is the only people who can be someone who is of the truth, someone who knows the truth, is if you hear His voice. You listen to what He said about Himself. You listen to who He is and you believe it and you accept it. That's the only way to be someone who is now of the truth. Knowing the truth. But the opposite is also true. Everyone who has rejected Jesus, rejected His truth claims, they don't know the truth. They're against the truth. And so Jesus reveals to Pilate that He came to this earth to bear witness of the truth. And that everyone who practices the truth hears his voice. So that's kind of placed there to Pilate. I came to this earth to reveal the truth of God. If you listen to me, you can be someone who is of the truth, Pilate. Now notice Pilate's response to what Jesus declares to him. He says, what is truth? Now, what Pilate says here, well, we don't know the way in which he says it. It basically could be said in two different ways. It could be a sincere question coming from someone who is open and seeking and wants to know what truth is. And so it could have been sincere, like, what is truth? Or it could have been a cynical statement coming from someone who is not open to finding out what the truth is. Someone making a cynical statement from what is truth? We don't know how he said it, but What he does right after he makes this statement, I think gives us good reason to assume that he was making more of a cynical statement than he was open to truth. Because we're told, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and told them, I found no fault in him at all. If Jesus, if Pilate was sincere, a a truth seeker, and Jesus has just made the claim, hey, I came to this earth to declare the truth of God, and anyone who's of the truth hears my voice. If Pilate hears that, he's truly a seeker of truth, and he poses the question sincerely, what is truth to the person to just claim that he is truth, that he can declare truth, you would think that he would wait and receive truth from Jesus. If he was a seeker and believed that Jesus was the source, he wouldn't just say, what is truth, and then walk away. The fact that he just walks away, I think, reveals the fact that he wasn't interested. It was a cynical response, what is truth? He wasn't interested. The God of truth was right in front of him. And unfortunately for him, he just walked away. Sadly, that's the way the majority of our culture responds to truth. They respond to it with this cynical, what is truth? There's no such thing as absolute truth. And they reject the truth of God. But you know what? Our our world is in desperate need of discovering and learning what truth really is. They might be cynical. They might be searching. But the bottom line is they need the answer to that question. You know, John MacArthur does a good job of answering the question, what is truth from a biblical perspective? He says this, Truth is that which is Consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. Therefore, God is the author, source, determiner, governor, arbiter, ultimate standard, and final judge of all truth. Every idea we have, every relationship we cultivate, every belief we cherish, every fact we know, every argument we make, every conversation we engage in, and every thought we think presupposes that there is such a thing as truth. You know, years ago on a talk show, the Archbishop of Canterbury was speaking with the actress Jane Fonda. He said to Fonda, Jesus is the Son of God, don't you know? Her response was, maybe He is for you, but He's not for me. To which the Archbishop wisely answered, well, either He is or He isn't. You see, Jane Fonda had a moral relative belief. She thought Jesus could be the Son of God for the Archbishop, and at the same time not be the Son of God for her. But the Archbishop's response is, hey, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. He can't be the Son of God just for me and not for you. He's either the Son of God for both of us or He's not the Son of God at all. This concept that something can be true for me and something can be completely opposite can also be true for you at the same time. It's just irrational and foolish. But that irrational and foolish belief system is permeating our culture because they've abandoned the truth of God and adopted moral relativism. We've abandoned God's truth so that we can make up our own. Something important to understand is that to say something is absolutely true is also to say that anything contrary to it is a lie. For example, if I say Jesus is God and He is the only way to salvation, any other statement about Jesus or any other statement contrary to what I just said about being saved through Him then becomes a lie. If someone were to say Jesus is not God, that's a lie. If someone were to say there are many ways to be saved, that's a lie. But here's the problem within our culture when we make absolute truth statements because the Bible makes absolute truth statements and we say things like Jesus is the only way to salvation and our culture says well, that's pretty narrow-minded. We are making a truth statement and we are claiming that all the other things all the other religions all the other belief systems that claim you can get to God in some other way is false and is a lie. And that's why people don't like it. That's why they come against us. But the reality is when we're making these truth statements, we need to understand and boldly proclaim, yes, what the Bible says is true, which means what you say is not. And unfortunately, we're kind of shying away from that in Christianity more and more. We don't like the repercussions. We don't like the names. We don't like being called bigots or intolerant or whatever it may be. And so we're not willing to stand for the truth because the truth of God's word is telling the culture what you believe isn't true. What you believe is a lie. What you're doing is wrong. Our postmodern moral relativistic culture definitely does not like these statements. But you know what? One thing that encourages me as you look through the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. Over and over and over and over again, abandoned biblical truth and adopted moral relativism. Over and over again, they say, you know what, God? We're not even going to believe in you anymore. We're going to get our own God. We're not going to buy into your law, into your standard, into your morality. We're going to get our own gods. We're going to establish our own standard. We're going to establish our own morality. And over and over and over and over, we see this with the nation of Israel where they're rejecting absolute truth from God and adopting this moral, relativistic lie. And it's devastating for them. The consequences for the nation are horrible. The judgment of God on the nation because of their rejection of Him is horrible. But the encouragement is whenever they get to a point where they finally say, you know what? We were wrong. We should have never abandoned God. We should have never abandoned His truth. We should have never abandoned His Word. We should have never abandoned His laws and His authority and His morality. We need to repent. We need to come back to Him. We need to get right with Him. And the encouraging thing is each time that they do that, even though they do it over and over again, whenever they're willing to repent and come back to God and say, you know what? You are the true God. Your Word is truth. Your standard is right. And we want to repent of our sin and get right with You. He always forgives them. And He heals their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If My people who are called by My name will humble themselves and pray, and seek My face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. God's declaring this to the nation of Israel, and time after time, says, if you follow this pattern, if you're going to call on My name, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll pray, if you'll repent from your wicked ways, then I will hear you, I will forgive you, and I will heal your land. You know, our country has abandoned God in many different ways. And the only way our country is going to change from their sinful and depraved direction that they're going is to humble themselves, pray to God, repent of their sin, and allow Him to forgive them and put them on the right path. But you know, the, the only way that's going to happen is if people hear the gospel and accept Jesus. You know, I find it interesting, especially you look on social media, so many Christians today are putting their faith in politicians to change our country. But you know what? Our country's main problem isn't political. Our country's main problem is a sin issue. And there's only one remedy to that. There's only one person who can meet the need of that, and that person is Jesus Christ. And until people come to Him, To the knowledge of Him, to the acceptance of Him, they will never change. They will continue in their sin. They are slaves to sin. They can only be free when they accept the truth, and the truth makes them free. Accept who Jesus is and what He's done. And so as a church, as we're looking to political people, we're looking to this or that, you know, those are the ones that are gonna turn our nation back to God. No, they're not. Our nation has a sin problem, and the ones who have the answer to the sin problem are us, the church, And we've been given the great commission to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. The message that tells people what God has done to meet the sin problem so they can be forgiven and changed. We want people to stop living the way they are. We want the moral depravity to change. Well, we need people to get saved. Yeah, It's not going to be laws. It's not going to be the Supreme Court. It's not going to be others that are going to make the change. People are going to still be sinful and depraved until they come to Jesus. D.A. Carson wrote this. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, He would have sent an economist. If He had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, He would have sent us a politician. If He had perceived that our greatest need was health, He would have sent us a doctor. But He perceived our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from Him, our profound rebellion, our death. And He sent us a Savior. God sent us Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life so that we could be saved from our sins. Our country doesn't need political reform. It needs a spiritual revival. People need to hear the gospel. People need to accept the gospel for there to be significant, lasting change in our country. And we as Christians are the ones who are called to reach this world of the gospel. So if you want to see the country change, you want to see prayer back in schools, you want to see the Bible being used, you want to see the Ten Commandments back in you know our our social settings, It's not going to happen until people are changed by Jesus and accept the gospel. Jesus was born and left heaven to come to this world in order to bear witness of the truth of God. And in our world today, there are people who sincerely are asking the question, what is truth? They're seeking. They want to know. And then there are other people who are very cynical. What is truth? I don't even believe there is such a thing. You just make up your own truth. What's true for you is fine. But you know what? Both those groups need to have the truth of God's Word declared to them. Whether they want to accept it or whether they're seeking it, they need to hear it. And the people who know it are us. And so God chooses to use us to proclaim it. It is our responsibility to go into the world not just to preach the Gospel, but to proclaim the truth of God's Word to a culture that has rejected it. Satan, who's the father of lies, who has... No truth in Him. He desperately wants to keep our world blinded from the truth of God. And that's why we need to be a light to the world to proclaim the truth of God to them. Even if it means being rejected. Even if it means being persecuted. This world is bound in sin. And they need the Word of God to be set free. So you and I need to share that truth. But we need to do it in love. We need to do it in gentleness, and we need to do it with respect. Don't just go home, get on your social media account, start blasting things out there. Make sure it's done in love. Make sure it's done with respect. Make sure it's done with gentleness, because the ultimate desire is we want people to come to the truth. We don't just want to tell them how wrong they are. We want to lead them to the right thing of who Jesus is. And I get saddened so often as I look, especially on social media, and see well-meaning Christians blasting people in just kind of this hateful way of, I'm just going to show you how wrong you are. It's like, you don't win people that way. I mean, how many people have you won to your argument by speaking that way, by belittling them, by calling them these names? You know, if our goal is to win them to Christ, to win them to truth, we need to make sure we're doing it in the right way, in the biblical way. So as you go to seek to speak truth, make sure you're doing it in love, in gentleness, with respect. And watch how God uses you to impact a world that has abandoned that truth. Let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you that you didn't leave us in a world that was so against you with nothing to help us. I thank You that right now all of us who have accepted You have the Spirit of truth dwelling within us. I thank You that You have left us with Your Word, that You have kept it through thousands of years intact for us today, that we might know who You are, that we might know how You desire us to live, that we might know how to be saved. And Lord, I just pray that You would give us as individuals and as a church just boldness, Boldness to stand for truth. In a time in our country where maybe more than ever before, truth is being rejected, your truth has been abandoned, and there's more and more of a deliberate attack against Christians who want to stand for these truths, who want to see this moral stance, moral reality of who you are stay in our culture. And so I pray, Lord, that our voices would be loud that you would give us the boldness to share, Lord, whether it's at work or with family or with friends or whatever platform that you have given to us, that we would take advantage of it and stand for truth and not shy away from it. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be seeking to get into arguments and be unloving, Lord, but that we would love and be gentle and respectful and speak the truth in love. And God, that you would give us opportunity to, to help people, especially who are seeking truth, to come to know what it is. And those who are cynical, Lord, that in our response to them and in our um, defense of truth, that they would really re-examine where they're standing from, re-examine their, their truth claims and recognize that we truly do have the truth and it can set them free. Lord, we have so many people who are bound in sin that need freedom. And I just pray that we, as the body of Christ, that you would empower us to be more effective in reaching this culture for Jesus so that they could be set free. Father, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.